This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm Carl Jorn, field agronomist in Northwest Indiana. We're coming to you with the May 5th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. And I'm joined, as always, with my co-hosts, Ben Jacob and Brian Schrader. Good morning, guys. Morning, Carl. Good morning, Carl. And you might recognize a voice or two uh, on today's podcast. We have Cassie Mish uh, with us and new to the podcast, uh, also Ross Deerdorf and Chris Klumke. So uh, welcome, y'all. Thanks for uh, setting some time to to speak with us today. Thanks for having us. Sure, good morning. Yeah, morning, Carl. Thanks. Good deal. So we'll have you all introduce yourselves here in just a minute. Um, and kind of give folks an idea of where you are and what you do. But before we do that, the subject of today's podcast is to talk about the state of nitrogen. Uh, we've had a few big rainfall events that have come through uh, in the last seven, 10 days or so by the time you all are hearing this podcast. And so we just wanted to get uh, that, that local perspective from Cassie and then also talk about how on earth do we know what nitrogen looks like in the soil profile at this point in time, depending on what you did in your operation. So that's the subject of today's podcast. We also have some exciting news and an opportunity for growers in the uh, Illinois and Indiana area. And we'll also throw Iowa in there as well, but really focusing on uh, the good folks in the state of Indiana today. So um, with that, Cassie, would you mind giving just a, a brief reintroduction to folks that uh, may or may not recall who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am Cassie Mish. I'm a granular agronomy CSA in Northwest Indiana. Um, this is my sixth season, I believe, uh, being a granular agronomy rep. Um, this is this is definitely um, the time of year here in early May where everyone's asking that question. So this is timely. What is the state of our nitrogen that's already been applied? So I'm going to say in, in my corner of northwest Indiana, the majority of what growers are applying for nitrogen is, is um, usually some sort of split application in the spring, um, either some pre-plant anhydrous or a lot of guys will do um, weed and feed. They'll put UAN on with their um, herbicide in the spring with the majority of that remainder uh, nitrogen being applied at side dress time. That's kind of the bulk of it, but we definitely have um, everything, every other type of nitrogen application and timing kind of on the fringes. There are places um, in, in uh, the corner of the state, especially where the ground is a little bit um, heavier and able to hold nitrogen better, that there is some fall anhydrous, there is some spring anhydrous, there is some fall and spring manure, um, there is uh, also becoming more and more nitrogen going on via Y-drops later in the season and some fertigation as well. So we're really asking right now, with nitrogen that has gone on already, so we're, we're talking primarily fall or early spring nitrogen, what's, what's left right now, especially with some of the recent rainfall that we've had in the last couple of weeks. So as I've been looking at customers' nitrogen plans and looking at their scenarios in our, our uh, granular agronomy plus nitrogen tools, um, we're looking at, so if I look at fall manure, and fall anhydrous. This might be a little bit surprising, but not completely to me. I think a lot of places uh, we've only lost about, I'm going to say, maybe 15-ish pounds, pounds of N um, as a general statement. 
There okay. are some places, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the spring nitrogen that maybe has gone in in the last five weeks, I don't think we've lost a lot of that, maybe a small amount with some of the recent rain that we've had. So it would be more looking at uh, what have we lost from our fall nitrogen. But but the models aren't showing that we've lost a lot, and I, I would generally agree with that. Very good. Uh, thank you for that perspective, Cassie. And as you all heard there, there are a whole mess load of ways that we can uh, manage our nitrogen based on uh, your farming operation and, uh, you know, the soils that you're farming up in Northwest Indiana, that amount of diversity is where uh, partnering with someone like Cassie is a huge asset because she's, she's got that depth of experience working across uh, a lot of different ways to kind of customize uh, best chance of success for nitrogen. So as we bring uh, Chris into the conversation, uh, Chris, would you be able to do a brief introduction and then kind of help us understand how on earth do we know uh, this, you know, that maybe we lost 15 pounds over the last, uh, you know, five months or something like that, seven months here. Um, just there's probably a lot of work that goes into that, but uh, interested to know your perspective there. All right. Thanks for uh, having me on this morning. Chris Klimke. I'm a digital business manager down here in Southern Illinois. Uh, covering everything south of I-70. However, I did spend a lot of my career in, in, in the central part of Indiana, uh, working with digital tools, helping growers and customers be successful with them. One thing that uh, Cassie's been talking about is nitrogen, and everybody farms a little bit different soil. Everybody has different farming practices, and one of the tools that she uses is our nitrogen model and where we put in a whole, all of these things that we've been talking about, how much nitrogen do we put in, what, how much nitrogen do we put on the soil, what form do we put it on. Um, we do a great job of identifying the soil types and kind of putting that all in a big pot and figuring out, hey, where are we at? Did we have enough? How much did we lose? Where did we lose it? And then we can even generate a variable rate recommendation for the grower so he can catch up or not have to put as much on doing the environmentally correct thing for that field. So it's an awesome tool. Awesome. I, I kind of think of uh, how folks would even try to frame up this conversation 10, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, Cass, you, you might've gotten this question uh, if you were in that role and uh, someone would say, hey, how much nitrogen do you think I've lost? And you really just kind of be, making a guess in the dark, more or less, and kind of getting a feel for, all right, well, if I put this much on and it's been this warm and I've gotten this much rainfall, I don't know, maybe we've lost 10%, 20%. It's, you know, you really just don't know. And so part mm -hmm. of the work that Chris was talking about is, you know, we've, we've taken the amount of research that Pioneer's done on this subject and our, and our differentiated understanding of our soils um, which has really helped us create this model that informs not just a relative amount that we've lost, but based on, you know, all those different practices that Chris and, and Cassie have talked about, the different ways that people farm, uh, you know, you've got to be able to account for all that. And manure is just one other way to, you know, really make things challenging uh, to, to really put your finger on the pulse of how much nitrogen you have. So, um, by no means is, is this an exact science. There is some art to understanding nitrogen because it's such a dynamic process. Um, but, but by, by no stretch of the imagination, uh, we've got the best tool in the industry and, and we've been working on it for, for how long, how long, Chris and Cassie, have we been, uh, trying to, you know, fine tune this tool? 
I know we've been offering the the service for uh, six or almost seven years now. So I, I know that the, the data science has uh, begun long before that. Yeah, I, I would say I've been with the company with with Orteva for going on my seventh year and it's been around about 10 years probably, I would say. And there's tons of the agronomy, the science behind it, um, buried in there and pioneered just bringing it to the surface and getting it in a, in a form that we can use. Because like you said, Carl, we can sit here and we can figure this on paper, but man, it, it takes a long time, but uh, we, we've taken it digitally and can just at the tip of our fingers have it really quick. Well, and especially uh, I think of where Cassie and I work in Northwest Indiana, the variability we can have across our soil types. I mean, you might have it figured out for, um, you know, your Oakville sand and say, yeah, probably I lost more there. But when you compare that to, you know, a really productive silt loam or something like that, it's completely different. And so, uh, you know, trying to get a feel for what things look like uh, across an entire acre is very different, um, you know, than, than that field scale. So um, I'm curious, we, we talked about some of the things that go into the model, but maybe we could explore that just a little bit deeper. Um, what are the different factors that that's, that's taking into account so that uh, Cassie can look on a, you know, on a Wednesday morning and say, yeah, I think we probably lost 15 pounds. What, what is that model really? really taking into account as we're trying to figure out how much nitrogen we have. So that we start out with a, a good yield target that's realistic on that area of the field. And then we need to know what kind of variety of corn, hopefully we're planting some good pioneer hybrids on there. And then we wanna look at initial N. Initial nitrogen is what that soil is able to provide before we apply any type of nitrogen to it. We, we look at that and that's considered, uh, we look at our soil depth. So some of our soils are deep and nitrogen can leach down there. Uh, down here in Southern Illinois where I roam, it's hard, hard tight clays and it might be six inches and then it'll hit a hard pan. So we need to know that depth of the soil. Uh, we need a planting date. So we know whenever that corn plant's gonna flower. So we know where we need to time our nitrogen and then we need our form of nitrogen. What, how is, um, how is that gonna break down? How's that gonna be available to the plant? And then the most important piece is what mother nature is giving us on a daily basis. How we can record that and look out, forecast that out a little bit to know whether we're gonna have uh, leaching or volatilization and all of that, all of those other fun weather factors that come into play. So that, that's a short list of what we need. Right. That's that's the short list. If you were to if you're to break open the computer programming and take a look behind the curtain, I'm sure that code looks a little a little more complicated. So glad we've got Chris to help us digest that. Um, so when I think of what makes the the uh, granular agronomy nitrogen model really special is that it it's it comes from pioneer in the sense of the crop modeling side. So when you're thinking about the nitrogen equation, you've got what's going on underneath the soil surface and then what's going on above the soil surface. So we've got a lot of expertise um, from the pioneer standpoint of having a good understanding of how corn grows and uptakes nitrogen. Now, when we finally got to the standpoint um, where we could start doing some, some soil modeling, that's where stuff got challenging. And we really had a breakthrough about, you know, five, 10 years ago. And that's because we, we partnered with the USDA 
and University of Missouri to fine tune our, our Sergo soil data. And by doing that, um, that's really what kind of unlocked the power of, of this tool that, that we're working with today. And so what happened when we worked with USDA is we said, all right, we've got these Sergo soil polygons that, you know, maybe they're five acres big at the smallest or two acres big at the smallest, but we know that, that soils change a lot more, um, you know, at, at a smaller scale. And so how can we kind of help um, bring that to life? And so by overlaying, you know, some topography information. Uh, so we have an understanding of how water flows over somebody's farm that has a big impact on how nitrogen is going to be, uh, you know, how it's going to go through the, the nitrogen cycle. And so the availability that we have uh, of nitrogen within the soil is, is definitely influenced by not just soil type, but also topography. So, Coupling those two together, that's that's really why all of a sudden you saw we've got these these nitrogen tools that that have been brought to the marketplace. Um, and Chris mentioned a really important part of this whole equation. It's not just what has taken place, but what is to come um, with respect to the forecasting. So bringing together 30 years worth of historical weather data, and we do 30 years because that's that's the most in, that's the most relevant. Uh, if you start looking back much further than that. Uh, you know, we've got some different climate cycles that were taking place in the 50s and 60s and 70s. So you're looking at the modern era of weather, all of a sudden, you know, we've got a good idea of what, what crop potential do we have when it comes to yield and how much nitrogen is it going to take to get there. And so that's why I think you have all three of those things coming together. And now we're at a place using that, that data analytics and the historical power of uh, pioneer and our understanding of soils from the USDA standpoint, now we've got this great tool that we can actually fine tune and use to make decisions. So I think that that's a, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to leverage. And I know there, there's not as many people utilizing this type of a service as, uh, as probably would benefit. So Cassie, what, what do you kind of think of for the next 30, 60 days as, as you're monitoring and you're, and you're coming up with nitrogen plans for folks? What's going through your mind at this point in time? What's going through my mind? Um, so, this, so May will be um, pretty intense with me working on uh, nitrogen plans with people. Um, and, and I say that primarily, you know, most guys kind of have figured out if they're going to side dress or if they want to, to do late nitrogen application. So we'll do an initial, you know, what a variable rate prescription might look like or the initial rates that are called for, um, for, for that forward projecting time. And then once we get into actual side dress time, so in June, I'm going to rerun those recs and see how they've changed. Um, has our nitrogen scenario improved or gotten worse, you know, in the next month, which would be largely dependent on our rainfall, of course. Um, and then I'll be working through with, with guys who want to wide drop or fertigate, should they, um, how much, which fields, do we do a variable rate, things like that. Um, and on some people, you know, sometimes I, I like to do some uh, infield verification as well, especially for new customers, just to show them that, look, these infield soil, soil and, you know, nitrogen and tissue tests are very similar to what our crop models are saying to give them that, that extra confidence. And I think as, as people are making decisions on, you know, side dress, that rate 
it can be hugely influenced if we've got a, if we've got it dialed in on how much we've lost over the course of the season. You know, that's an opportunity to 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 manage our nitrogen differently as opposed to saying I'm going to go out and put put on you know 200 units of N this year. Well, if if we know that we've we've lost some through uh, you know leaching or something like that, we had the opportunity to put on more nitrogen if we've still got a good yield target, um, you know, upcoming throughout the growing season. And so that's really where these tools come into play. Is yes, you can still have a similar nitrogen budget, but how you allocate it can be, uh, you know, differentiated significantly based on what's already happened in the growing season. And if we continue to stay, uh, you know, pretty pretty dry in some areas of the state, well, maybe you're backing off that yield target and that might change how you're going to side dress it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for us to understand uh, uh, why it's so important to know if we lost 10 pounds or 30 pounds and just taking a stab in the dark, that's, that's not as well informed as the crop model that the Cassie and Chris had the chance to play with all day. So um, I, I, Chris, do you have any, any additional thoughts on that? I just think it's an awesome tool for Cassie as she's, uh, I consider her a crop consultant and it allows her to have awesome conversations with her growers and it lets her quantify, you know, put a number on it. I, here's where I feel that we're at and on this part of the field or that part of the field and just lets her just stand out in the crowd whenever she's wanting to make a nitrogen recommendation and she's got some science uh, working behind her that can help her have a foot to stand on is where I really think it helps her in her business. And it helps us because we're, we're successful with our products. Well, and I asked Cassie about the next 30, 60 days, because once we've got our, our corn up and, you know, we're right around that side dress time V6 or so uh, with a number of our other nutrients, we are really starting to go into that rapid growth stage. And so the, the loss mechanisms aren't nearly as important then as they are now. So if we're losing nitrogen to denitrification or if we're losing it due to leaching at this standpoint, we're not likely going to have that after we, you know, get past V6 corn. And so at that point in time, it's, it's less about how much it we lost, but it's more about what kind of yield potential do I have out there? And so when Cassie's talking about some of these next level management tactics, like using Y drops late in season, um, there's, there's just a lot of opportunities to really leverage this service. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's really cool because as we think about how we can raise our yields in the face of these what I would consider outstanding, you know, commodity market conditions compared to where we were a year ago, every extra bushel we can make uh, as we're doing it responsibly from an environmental standpoint, that's something we want to capture. And, and we really think we've got a great tool to help folks do that in the field. So if you, uh, if you found this interesting, I strongly encourage you to reach out to your pioneer sales representative or your granular services agent, because this is just, this is quite the opportunity. And if you haven't taken a stab at it yet, uh, I would I would encourage you to, to trial it out. And for Cassie to say that I take soil samples and tissue samples for analysis to just do a, a quick a heat check of, of where this model stands and they come back saying, yep, this is, this is about the amount of nitrogen we expect to be in the soil profile or in the plant at this time. That just, that, in my opinion, that speaks to the confidence she has in the service she's providing. So, um, so yeah, I guess, uh, Ben, Brian, anything else to contribute on our, on our nitrogen conversation? Carl, the one thing I would say here is 
you know, when this space developed, there were a lot of folks that were in this space and all of those folks have fallen away. This is such a hard nut to crack that mm -hmm. we were the only ones left in this space. And uh, 10 or 11 years is about right. I recall uh, in my prior role as a territory manager, having customers that we were doing these tests on where we were running the model, we were going out applying different rates to verify and ground truth what the data said uh, in terms of developing this model. And so I think that that um, is important to note that we're, I guess, the last man standing, if you will, in this nitrogen monitoring space. And I think that speaks to the accuracy of our model and the folks like Cassie and others who use this model on a daily basis with folks, uh, just how good they are and the model that they're using. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Brian. I think that I think that for me, the the model is largely about about peace of mind to start with, because you you really you really don't know um, what loss looks like. I think that a lot of people that hear this will be surprised at how low Cassie's loss estimates were. Um, sure. But then you think about when if it's it's been cold and it's been dry. I mean, it it, it we're able to reason through that. But oh yes, that does that does make sense when we think about it. But I would call this an atypical spring. Um, usually you would see probably more than that. And then I think about the last round of rain um, across Southern Indiana, we ranged overnight from uh, four tenths of an inch to a little over three and a half inches in areas. So that changes, I mean, th these are small distances. So that changes a huge amount, um, even, even just across your farm, but the tool also lets you make more dynamic decisions. I would say you think about nitrogen prices in January versus where they set today going yeah, into May is they've more than doubled. Now commodity prices are, are great too, but it's likely that to, to maintain um, a high level of profitability, you might want to adjust your plan. And this, this tool lets you play with different scenarios and see how that might work out. So not only does it let you manage your nitrogen better, it lets you manage your whole operation more dynamically. Could not have said it better myself. Glad you guys uh, both, both lent your thoughts on that subject. Um, so as we kind of cap off our nitrogen conversation, we talked about, you know, the, the dynamics um, behind uh, all of the different opportunities we have to manage, manage our nitrogen. And so another opportunity that, that uh, Corteva and Granular has is um, how can we kind of dynamically manage our carbon in a sense, or how can we start getting some credit for uh, the good work that folks are doing as uh, from a conservation, you know, a stewardship standpoint of the land. And we thought we'd bring in uh, Ross Deerdorf to the conversation to, to help just uh, give voice to that opportunity, a new initiative we have uh, at Pioneer with Corteva and Granular. So Ross, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit with the audience of, of what we're working on? Absolutely. So thanks again for having me, Carl. I'm Ross Deerdorf. So I'm the digital business manager, like Chris, uh, for Northern Indiana. So think kind of I-70 corridor north is uh, the territory I make up and get to work with some awesome granular CSAs like Cassie uh, all through that area. So uh, as you saw, you probably got some publicity, maybe some emails in your inbox as growers. Uh, but uh, Corteva has rolled out their new carbon initiative uh, just recently within the last three weeks. And really what we're looking at doing is those that made practice changes post-harvest of 2020 
a way for you to earn uh, some money on carbon that you extract from those conservation practices. So when we say conservation practices, uh, we're talking about introducing cover crops and or switching to strip or no-till on those acres that were net new for your farm uh, post-harvest 2020. And you would be selling back those carbon credits to Corteva. Awesome. Thank you, Ross. Yeah. And when, when you think of the, the carbon credit space, uh, it can be kind of a, a hotly uh, discussed topic. And what I kind of think of whenever I hear of carbon credits or a carbon bank or, or what have you is there's, there's all these companies like a McDonald's or a Walmart, you know, some of these fortune 100 companies that have these, these uh, ambitious goals to be, you know, carbon neutral or reduce their carbon uh, footprint by 50% by such and such a date. And the way that a lot of them are doing this is by, by purchasing carbon credits because the nature of their business, they still need over the road trucking and they're still going to have, you know, um, they're going to have carbon emissions just through the nature of their business, but how they're going to reduce their carbon footprint uh, from, uh, from a regulatory standpoint or from an accountability standpoint is through the purchase of these types of carbon credits. And so as, as folks that are, are great stewards of the land, this is a, this is a new opportunity uh, if, if you're farming. And so I just think of it instead of just the the crop that you reap at the end of each year, uh, now that we've got a chance to, to get paid for, for some of the work that we're doing. And like Ross said, if that's uh, new practices like cover crops or, or reduced tillage, those are all things that, that are uh, helping us sequester carbon from the atmosphere to be put back into the soil. And uh, that's, that's really what the goal of this, uh, this whole movement is, is how can we start getting recognized um, and uh, you know, get, get compensated for the good work that, uh, that you all are doing as great stewards of the land. And so it's for those new practices that are being taken place. That's where, uh, that's where the monies are coming from to, um, to help fund, uh, you know, some of these carbon credits. And so, uh, a lot more to come when it comes to this arena, but, uh, definitely just wanted to make sure folks knew that, uh, there is a new, uh, a new income opportunity. Uh, and, and we'd love to partner with you as, as uh, you know, granular and Corteva are, are entering this space. So if you have more questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to um, uh, your granular CSA, your pioneer seeds representative, anybody within the Corteva team, because we'd love to be able to, to help you, uh, you know, generate that new income stream. Ross, do you have any other thoughts on this subject? Yeah, definitely. So if you are interested, I would also recommend uh, outside of those other great channels with the Pioneer Seed Rep and your granular CSA, you could go to corteva.com slash carbon, and that would go over some of the eligibility requirements there. And if you submit that form, someone from our carbon team uh, would reach out to you to schedule a meeting to go over some of those practice changes and a more in-depth look at your farm and what the program means to you. Absolutely. Good deal. Thank you, Ross. And when I think of why, why uh, it might make sense to partner with Corteva when it comes to this space is that Granular has done an excellent job when it comes to making managing your data as pain-free as possible. And so making a seamless uh, transaction when it comes to understanding what data these, uh, these corporations would need to have to be uh, to 
to be accounting for that carbon sequestration, we've got a really nice process to, to make sure that uh, your data stays your data, but that we can account for the amount of carbon that's being sequestered through our data science and the analysis that we've, we've been able to provide. So uh, keeping us as kind of that third party to keep, uh, keep your information safe and secure, but also making it a pain-free process um, to help generate that income stream, that's something that uh, most other providers that are just beginning to enter this space, they don't quite have that same uh, expertise. And so um, between that and uh, Ross, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think we have as long of a commitment as some of the other parties that are in this space where they might say, yep, you did, uh, did no-tilt, you gotta keep it for 10 years. That's not what, uh, that's not what Corteva is asking you to do where we wanna make sure that you've got uh, the opportunity to uh, continue your freedom to operate, uh, but still get, get paid a premium for the practices that you're doing. Is, did I say that correctly, Ross? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right, Carl. So we're not out here to dictate how you farm or lock you into a long-term deal. So uh, we are very flexible in the sense that if you commit to Corteva to sell your carbon credits, uh, it's a two-year contract with the option to opt out at the end of year two. So if you were to enroll your acres uh, for this 2021 crop year, uh, your contract would end at the harvest of crop year 22. So short commitment there, but if you like the program and like what's offered and you deem these practices agronomically beneficial to your farm and you want to continue, you can extend with us up to 10 years. Um, so very flexible in that sense. And then at the end of year two, uh, if you want to go direct to that ESMC marketplace, which we participate in, uh, you have the option to do that as well. So really what I also think makes our program stand out versus others is the carbon lead that comes with the carbon program. So the representative for us here in Illinois and Indiana would be Drew Miller, and he would help you every step of the way to make sure you have all the data you need and that you're getting it in timely and and to really provide transparency through the process that you're checking every box in order to get paid uh, post-harvest of this year. So uh, not only do you get paid, but you get a partner in a sense for your farm to help manage you and help make sense of all that data then too. Yeah, help help manage the process and be an advocate for you and make sure that you're you're able to capitalize on all the opportunities. And uh, when I think of that, that relatively short commitment, that that's huge. Uh, if, if you think about selling uh, your commodity, whether it's corn or beans two years ago versus today, I think you'd rather be in a position where, uh, you know, you can go with a two year, uh, you know, commitment as opposed to a 10 year commitment, just that way you can capitalize on the, the evolving dynamics of the carbon marketplace. So, uh, Brian, Ben, Chris, Cassie, anything else for the good of the cause? We covered a lot of ground today when it came to uh, what nitrogen looks like in Northwest Indiana. How on earth do we know that? Uh, we're the last man standing in the nitrogen model game. And uh, then also talking about some exciting things when it comes to uh, the carbon credit space for your farm. No, I would just say if you have any curiosity or, or want to explore some of these tools, I would definitely encourage you to reach out uh, to your local granular CSA. If you may not know who that is, definitely reach out to your Pioneer Seed, your Pioneer Seed representative or Carl, Brian, or Ben on this call even, um, to, and they can direct you to that right place. Uh, we definitely have a, a digital solution for your farm and uh, would love to partner with you all. I think we've said it all. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.
Thank you, Cassie. Well, we'll go ahead and conclude this edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast for May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Um, so thanks all for, for giving us a listen. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions uh, outside of reaching out to your local channels, but you want to continue the conversation with the folks on this uh on this edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast, I'll start with Cassie. Cassie, what's the best way for folks to keep in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Cassie Mish or Cassie at Platinum.ag. Awesome. Thank you, Cassie. Ross, how about yourself? Yeah, so I don't have social media. Uh, so definitely you could reach out to your, your local Pioneer Seed Rep and they all uh, know how to get in touch with me or a Cassie or any of our granular CSAs. Otherwise, you could email me. It'd be my first name, dot last name. So ross.deardorf at corteva.com and definitely can start a dialogue with you via email. Awesome. Thank you, Ross. Chris, how about you, sir? Well, I'm one of those that don't have the social media either. It would be my email address, first name, last name. Last name's fun. First name is Chris with a C-H dot K-L-U, E as in everyone, M as in Mary, K-E at Thank you, Chris. Uh, we'll go to Ben next. Yep, you can find me um, somewhat active on social media on Twitter at Jacob and Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. And Mr. Schrader. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BK Schrader and on Instagram at B underscore K underscore Schrader. Good deal. And you all can follow along with me in Northwest Indiana, Cassie Stomping Grounds uh, on Twitter at Cjorn. Um, thanks again for joining us, y'all. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about um, some herbicide programs and uh, in addition to that, a wheat management update. So uh, be on the lookout for head scab and we'll be talking what to do about it here in the coming weeks. So uh, thanks again. Stay safe and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of planting. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.